Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Rick Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Praise God. Aren't you glad to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. Praise God. Now we're going to begin, uh, your bulletin has praying through the tabernacle. You're going to want to save that. It really lets you know what we're going to be doing this month. Uh, with the number of services that we have available, we will take the six pieces of furniture in the tabernacle for six services, and then we will have services also with Brother Ball um, on the last Wednesday and Sunday of the month, okay? So that's our plan. And the reason I had you be seated before I read my text is I wanna give you just an overall view of the tabernacle. So Brother Matucci, if you can give us a few of these slides so that I can explain. These come off of transparencies. Just so you get an overall view. And, and what we will do at the end of the month, on the last Friday, and Saturday of the month is we will lay out the entire tabernacle in its order and then we'll have 24 hours of prayer. And that's how we'll wrap this up so that you'll be able to pray through the tabernacle. But we want you to be able to understand what the tabernacle is all about, okay? So let's go back, there's a blue slide. Brother Matucci, can you bring that up? There. You can see on this slide, this would be an aerial view um, you'll notice that at the bottom, which would be the east, the sacrifices would be brought by the people to the priests. They were not allowed to enter any portion of the tabernacle, none. Only the priests could be in the tabernacle. They would take the sacrifice, they would take it to the first piece of furniture, which is what we have in front of us right here, the brazen altar, and this is where the animal would be sacrificed. After the sacrifice of the animal, the priest would then go to the laver, which is where he would wash, and then he would proceed to another tented area, a completely tented area. The two, the altar, brazen altar and the laver, were in what was called the outer court. This was open air. Now, nobody could see this unless you were above it because you'll notice that it is surrounded by high walls, tented walls. So you couldn't see what was going on except from above. Once they were finished in the outer court, they went to what's called the holy place. See the blue area there? You'll notice that the first blue area has the altar of incense, golden candlestick, and table of showbread. Then... Inside of that was a veil, and that veil separated the holy place from the holy of holies, which is where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. And the high priest was the only one that could ever go in there, and he could only go once per year for the sins of the people. So this gives you an aerial view, okay? Next slide. So here's what the holy place and the holy of holies would have looked like from an aerial view. You can't see the veil, but approximately two-thirds is the holy place and one-third is the holy of holies. Next slide, please. 
And here you can see what it may have looked like inside of the outer court with the priests and with the animals and with the sacrifices. Last slide, please. And then, of course, you can see all the activity that is probably going on every day for the sins of the people. All right? So uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to take one piece and that will be the brazen altar, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you'd stand with me, we'll go to Exodus chapter 25. Exodus 25, verses 8 and 9. This was God's request. Let me explain to you, too, that the, the tabernacle, the plans for the tabernacle came at the same time as the commandments came from the mountain that Moses went up to. So if you're wondering where the plans, uh, Wednesday night we talked about Noah and the specific plans that God had for for the ark. Well, he had specific plans for the tabernacle. It had to be done his way with the materials that he called for. And those plans came from the mount. Exodus 25, verses 8 and 9. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Verse 9. According to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. So God was now saying, I'm going to dwell among you and I'm going to lead you And God would lead his people with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And whenever the cloud stopped, they would set up the tabernacle or the pillar of fire. And when it moved, they packed everything up and they followed the leading of God. And when he stopped, they stopped. So today on the particular subject that I'm going to speak on, I'm going to talk about a new life from an old altar. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Hebrews 13 warns us not to be carried about with divers and strange doctrines. It is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them which have occupied therein. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve in the tabernacle. I want you to know that this church has an altar. It is the most sacred place in this building. It is right here at this particular place. Awesome and powerful moves of God have taken place. People have come to this altar and put tears and even snot into the carpet as they repented and cried out to God, as they interceded in prayer for other people's needs, as they called out to God in desperation, and God's eyes and his ears are attentive to everything that goes on at the altar. Now you can have a family altar, and that's a good thing, but there's no place like the altar that God has designed for the church of the living God. It is a place that you should frequent. 
It is never a place that you should turn your back on. One of the things I appreciated when we were young, a young church, is that everybody always came to the altar at the end of the service. I pray that we never get away from that. I pray that you never get to a point where you're thinking about what you want to do after church and who you want to see and who you want to talk to and forget about going to the altar. Frequent the altar. Come to the altar every service. Every preacher and every teacher in this church that stands behind this pulpit should never conclude a service by saying, that's all, folks. It should be, please come. The altar is open for prayer. God still wants to speak to you, and you may have something that you need to say in response to what God has said to you. We have an altar. Now, the altar of, of uh, the brazen altar was a place of sacrifice. <clears throat> Excuse me. A place of sacrifice. You will remember that in the Garden of Eden, the first sacrifice that was ever made was made by God. It was a blood sacrifice. After Adam and Eve sinned, we find in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21 that it says, Unto Adam also and to his, to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins, and he clothed them. Now these animals didn't surrender their hides. Their lives were taken. Their blood was shed. They were skinned. And those skins became the garments by which God clothed Adam and Eve. And we know that the life of a person is not what you see on the outside, but rather your life is in your blood. That's where your life is. If you run out of blood, you're dead. Blood is your oil. It keeps everything moving properly. Take a look here at uh, Genesis 9 and 4. But flesh, with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall you not eat. You never eat blood. God warned us not to do that because he said your life is in the blood. And this is also a way in which great diseases can be transferred through the blood. Hebrews 9 and 22 says almost all things are purged with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no remission. You cannot be dry cleaned well, I just came to the altar one day and I accepted the Lord and it was no big deal and, and now I'm saved. I just, I believe in dry cleaning. No, won't work. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. What can wash away my sins? Nothing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus must be applied to our lives. And if it is not, we stand before God in our sins. Now I'm gonna give you a few quotes. You know that 
This is just kind of my trademark or my style, but these are how I remember things. Before God brings deliverance, a sacrifice is always required. Before God brings deliverance, a sacrifice is always required. Do you remember when Israel was in bondage to Egypt? 400 years of bondage? Do you remember them crying out to God for their deliverance? But there was no deliverance until there was first a sacrifice. And God is always very specific. He is not generic. He is not vague. He is specific about what he wants and how he wants it. And we need to pay attention. Can I get an amen? We need to pay attention. Let me take you back to Exodus chapter 12 when Israel wanted deliverance from Egypt. He spoke about a lamb and and in verse six he said, and you will keep it, me referring to the lamb, until the 14th day, the specific day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And you will take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. You are required, according to the eating of your household, to sacrifice a lamb and to take the blood and apply it to the house. If you drop down to verse number 11, he will say, and thus shall you eat it, referring to the lamb after it's been sacrificed and cooked. With your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand, you will eat it. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night. I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute my judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Does God see blood when he sees you? I hope so. Because if he doesn't, he executes judgment. Judgment against you and all the gods that you've served. But if... But if he sees the blood, he will pass over you and he will not execute judgment against you. Now maybe I'm just a simple common person, but I never even made the connection between the Passover and this event until it was so pure and simple that a person couldn't miss it. God wants to pass over us. But he better see he better see the blood. And when he saw the blood, he passed over. Now, notice this. The Old Testament is a shadow of the New Testament. The things that are, you say, well, the Old Testament is something we can ignore. Not so. That is not so. We don't live under the law, but we learn from the law. It became our schoolmaster. It brought us to Christ. Now God lives on the inside of us and works from the inside outward. He lives in our hearts. He lives in our minds. That's why he writes his laws in our hearts and in our minds. It's an inside job now. 
that God is doing in our lives. So now let's move to the New Testament for a few minutes. Let's begin with Matthew chapter one. Speaking of Mary, it says, she shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus. Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Wow, what a mouthful. I want, if you don't, you gotta get this. He's the only savior. He's the only savior. Jesus will save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, behold a virgin shall be with child, she will bring forth a son, they will call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Who is Jesus? He is God with us. He is God, but now he's got a body. He is God, but now he's revealed his name. He is the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. John 1 and 29 said, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. He is the New Testament Lamb of God. And folks, his blood needs to be applied to our lives. It is an absolute must. God came in flesh as an innocent and perfect lamb. And you know why he did it? Because there was no one else qualified to do it. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, I'm interested in the gift. The gift of God is eternal life and it comes from Jesus Christ. His altar, not this one. His altar was a cross and his blood was for our sins, not his own. He was perfect and his life was given. It was not taken. This is not an assassination. This is not a homicide. This is a gift. A gift given, not a life taken. Take a look with me at Acts chapter two. Acts chapter two. Verse 36 says, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and they said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Let me stop here. Here's one of those statements that's worth writing down. Conviction brings repentance. And repentance tests our integrity. Repentant, conviction brings us to repentance and repentance tests our integrity. Now did you notice when Peter made that harsh statement, I mean this is a harsh statement. 
He comes right out and says, hey, you know what? You're guilty. You're the ones that are responsible. He's talking to all the Jews now. You're responsible for his death. And it says that they were pricked in their hearts. Wow. I, I didn't understand what I was doing. I've made a mistake. I got caught up with the crowd. I became just like everybody else. I was right there yelling with them, crucify him, crucify him. I was part of the mob. I didn't realize who he was. Now, what am I going to do? That's conviction. Folks, we need conviction in, in our churches. There needs to be conviction for sin. We should feel bad when we do bad. I don't feel bad. I just, I just told a little fib. We ought to feel bad about lying. Well, I lost my temper and I swore. We ought to feel bad if we've cursed. We ought to feel bad if we've lusted after someone. Where's the conviction? Where's the, the, the consciousness of God in our lives if we don't even have the Holy Ghost? There needs to be conviction. And most of your life is going to be based upon conviction. Conviction from the Word of God and conviction from the Spirit of God. And that's a good thing. And some of your convictions are going to be just for you, and some of them are not. They're going to be biblical examples of how we are to conduct ourselves and live and appear and talk and act. And there should be conviction when we do wrong. It should be there. Because conviction will save you from sin. Conviction will bring you to repentance. You might get asked a question at work tomorrow and it might reveal that you made a mistake and you will be tempted to try and talk your way out of it. Maybe even lie your way out of it. But I pray that your conscience if you don't have the Holy Ghost. And your Holy Ghost, if you do, will convict you and cause you to say, I can't lie. I can't deceive. I'm not gonna try and trick people. I'm gonna tell the truth, even if it has consequences. That's what conviction will do. It will lead you to repentance and test your integrity. Integrity is knowing what is right and doing it because it's right. Not because it's popular. Not because you're trying to get brownie points. But because it's right. You know, there's lots of times people come to church not because they want to, but because they feel they need to. It's the right thing to do especially on a day like this or when the winter comes and the snow flies and the wind blows and it's bitterly cold outside. It'll test your integrity. It'll test your commitment. We'll see if you come to church then. We'll see what you do when it's not popular 
in the way that you handle a situation and you could have lied your way out of it. Your integrity will be tested. But it starts with conviction. And if you fail, repentance to prove your integrity. Somebody say, I got it. So after they're convicted, Peter declares this message of salvation. Peter said unto them, what did John the Baptist begin his ministry with? Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. What did Jesus begin his ministry with? Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. What did Peter begin his ministry with? Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. But I'm just primarily talking about repentance today because I believe that repentance is necessary for salvation. I believe that. Jesus said you can repent or you're all gonna perish. We can talk about being born of the water and spirit. I believe that too. I believe in baptism in Jesus' name by immersion for the remission of my sins. And I believe in receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. But we've got to start with repentance. Repentance is the place of commitment. It's the place of consecration. It's the place of reckoning with God. Let me see, maybe I need to lighten this up a little bit. Do you know there's a difference between an offering and a sacrifice? Let me give you an example. Some of you may have had a nice breakfast this morning. Now the chicken provided an offering. It was eggs. But the pig, now that was a sacrifice. And you should never, here's one of those quotes too, worth writing down. You should never bring an offering when God requires a sacrifice. Never bring an offering when God requires a sacrifice. What is this altar here? What is this? This is a place of sacrifice. The people that brought their lamb or their, their prized animal, whatever sacrifice was required, they brought the very best. Well, I got this scrawny lamb over here. This lamb's got three legs. I'll give him that one as an offering. No, I don't want your offering. I want your sacrifice. I want your best. Anybody hearing what I'm saying today? And I want it in its completeness. When they chose the lamb prior to the Passover, your lamb had to be without blemish. Jesus was without spot. He had no blemish. He was qualified to be the perfect sacrifice. This is a place of sacrifice. And you know what? This altar in repentance this too is a place of sacrifice. 
And it's, it's not a place, of, again, I'm gonna, I'm gonna drive this home because you gotta get this. It's not a place to offer up offerings. I could come to this altar today and say, Lord, I promise you, I will never drink an alcoholic beverage. That's not, that's not a sacrifice. I don't drink alcoholic beverages. Lord, I'm giving up smoking. That's not a sacrifice. I don't smoke. What if I said, I'm going to give you a half hour of devotions starting tomorrow morning? Would that be a sacrifice for some of you? It's not giving up something that, that's not important to you. It's giving up something that's of value to you. That's why God wants us to place our lives on the altar. Not just our offerings. Let me read this to you. This is Romans chapter 12. Paul, it almost sounds like he's crying when he says this. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. That's pretty strong language. That you present your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Well, God doesn't care about my body. Yes, he does. He does. He cares about your body. He said you were to present your bodies, not just your mind, not just your heart, not just your emotions. I want it all. I want it all. I want your life placed as a living sacrifice on the altar. That's pretty demanding, God. Do you know what you're asking for? Sure do. I did it on a cross for you. Now I'm asking you to be a living sacrifice for me. He's not asking you to hang on a cross with nails. He's asking you to be a living sacrifice. I want you to present your bodies as living sacrifices. Holy. I want holiness. I want holiness on the inside of your life. I want holiness on the outside of your life. I want it out of your mouth. I want it before your eyes. I want you to listen to it. I want holiness. Put your life on the altar. Become a living, a living, not a dead, a living sacrifice. Live by your convictions. Live by what, is anybody with me this morning? Live by what you see in the word of God and what the spirit of God is talking to you about. In your body, mind, soul, and spirit. Be a living sacrifice. And be not conformed, the next verse. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good. Here comes the integrity. Prove what is good and acceptable and perfect. Will of God. What did Jesus say in the garden? The conclusion of his prayer, 
nevertheless, I've told you, I'm not looking forward to tomorrow. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. What is God's will for your life? It starts at the altar of sacrifice. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9. Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, says, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing. Are you hearing what he's saying here? I didn't didn't want to just make you feel bad. I was praying that godly sorrow, godly sorrow, would bring you to repentance. That was my objective, to bring you to repentance. Now, I want to take a moment and tell you about the word repent. The word repent actually came to us from Napoleon. Napoleon would lead his armies into battle and into victories, usually from an elevated position where he could see where the battle was going well or poorly. And he would offer a one-word command if he was not happy with the way that the battle was going. And the one-word command was, repent. And when the word got down to the troops that they were to repent, it meant that they were to stop going in the direction that they were going. And in our military language, it meant that they were to do an about-face and go in exactly the opposite direction that they had previously been going. And what God is saying to us is, as a nation and even as his people, is it is time to repent. We are going in the wrong direction. We need to stop going in that direction and furthermore, not just stand there, but turn around and go in exactly the opposite direction that we are going. We need to go back to the principles of God. We need to go back to the word of God. We need to learn how to walk in the spirit. We need to bring our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. We need to bring Christianity back to America, but it starts by bringing Christianity to our own lives first because it begins at the house of God. At the house of God. And so he talked about godly sorrow. Watch what he said here about godly sorrow in verse 10. Here's what happens with godly sorrow. Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. See, I told you, I believed that repentance was a part of salvation. Repentance to salvation. Don't repent of your repentance. We call that backsliding. 
We were going in the wrong way. We recognized it. We turned around. We started walking back toward God and started living for God. But if we do an about face from that, we will be going back in the wrong direction as we once were before we came to God. So he said, don't repent of your repentance. Live your repentance. Not to be repented of. The sorrow of the world worketh death. But watch this. This is, a, this is an amazing verse. This 11th verse of 2 Corinthians 7. For behold, this selfsame thing. And all of us are going to, as Christians, you're all going to be able to agree with this. When you think back to your repentance. You sorrowed after a godly sort. Can I get an amen? You felt bad about your sin. Oh, what carefulness it wrought in you. I'm going to be real careful about the way I live. Yea, what clearing of ourselves. Oh, God, I need to have my life right with you. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire. Yea, what zeal. And even revenge against what the devil took from you. All of those things were present in repentance. And it says here, and in all these things you have approved yourselves to be clear. I got things cleared up with God. I made it right with him. And I'm never going back. I'm never going back. So you see, in conclusion today, you see, the altar is really an old place where you can find a new life. But you gotta take the old man and you gotta put him on the altar. Second Corinthians 5 and 17 says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. We are not reformed anythings. We are recreated after his image. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things passed away. Don't talk about him anymore. Well, you know, there was a time in my life I used to do this or I did that, and I'm a sh don't talk about that anymore. Stop talking about that. God is not being glorified by that. And you're just going backwards in your thought life. If anything, go back to repentance. God, is there any, oh, I'm gonna preach this. God, is there anything that's not right between you and me? I need to kill that. Is there anything that's not right between my brother and my sister and I? I need to bring that to this altar and I need to kill it. I need to kill my pride. Come on. I need to kill my pride. I need to kill my jealousy. I need to kill my selfishness. I need to kill my unbelief. I need to kill my unthankfulness. It needs to be killed. It needs to be sacrificed. And it needs to be burned. And don't go back and try and resurrect it again. Leave it there, leave it there. Take your burdens to the Lord. Leave them there. 
Go back. Go back to the altar. Let's stand together. First John chapter 1. And verse 8. I hope I've made you think today and I hope that by the Spirit of God you'll want to come to this altar and kill some things. You know, there's a saying in the military. I think I heard it in a war movie, so I don't, it's not biblical, but, but it was stated, you know, I, I just don't know that I, I can kill the enemy. And one soldier said to the other soldier, he said, don't look at it that way. He said, consider what you're allowing to live. instead of what you're trying to kill. What do you want to live in your life? For me to live is Christ. Our lives should be a sanctuary for God. We should be living sacrifices. Can I get an amen? So 1 John 1 and 8 says, I've talked to all of us, myself included today. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, well then he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say, we've not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. So you know what today is? Today's confession day. Not to anybody else but God. Today's putting your life on the altar day and becoming a living sacrifice. I don't know if you noticed it, maybe I'm a little picky, but he is faithful and just to forgive us. He forgives us when we repent. He cleanses us of all unrighteousness when we take his name in baptism. But he put repentance and forgiveness before cleansing. Jesus, I pray today that as your people, we would be honest with ourselves and with you and come to this altar of sacrifice and make the sacrifices that you require. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Let there be broken spirits and contrite hearts at this altar today. And we'll give you the thanks and praise. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, 
please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.